We are opening up episode 242 of Monster Kid Radio with the song Drag the Lake, the Afterlife Aquatic. It's from the band Genki Genki Panic. It's from their album Ghoulie High Harmony. You can find a link to their Bandcamp page, which is genkikenkipanic.bandcamp.com, over at monsterkidradio.net, where you can learn the spelling of the band's name and learn about Monster Kid Radio, the podcast, where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, writer-producer Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the podcast, the home of Classic Monsters, Modern Talk. And this week, we are talking with Donnie Dunnigan. That's right. We've got a son of Frankenstein here on the show. Mr. Dunnigan played Peter Von Frankenstein in the original Son of Frankenstein. Yeah, I got the Son of Frankenstein on Monster Kid Radio. How awesome is that? Big thanks to Joe and Tom over at Wolfbane Productions for making this happen. They're the guys that put me in contact with Donnie, and you're going to hear a little bit about what's going on with Wolfbane Productions with Donnie. Now, with Mr. Dunnigan, he and I, we spoke about an upcoming project that he's involved with. We're going to get to that here in a little bit. And he just chatted about his background. He did a little bit of an interview. It was a lot of fun. I hope to talk to him again. The man is full of energy, and that he gave some of it to Monster Kid Radio means the world to me. I hope you enjoy the chat that I had with him. Now, it's not a traditional interview in that we just kind of started talking at first. I tried to see her toward an interview, but you know what? It was a conversation. It was fun. I hope you guys and gals dig it. After hearing from Donnie Dunnigan, going to talk a little bit about what's going on with Wolfbane Productions, and then we're going to debrief. I'm going to tell you how Halloween 2015 went. Going to do that at the end, after the Donnie Dunnigan interview. Somewhere along the way, we're going to do a special thanks to the executive producers of Monster Kid Radio, but that all happens right after this. Breakers Incorporated. You make them, we shake them. Bob Hope speaking. Yes, Paulette Goddard's a partner in this firm. What? You want me to send her around? <laughs> Listen, if I could tell Paulette what to do, I wouldn't send her to your house. Sucker. You know, I never knew there were so many ghosts roaming around loose until Paulette and I got into the Ghost Breakers. Believe me, the cat in the canary was a pink tea compared to this picture. It all starts in one terrible night. Rathbone must be giving a party. That's the night that Paula tears the ghostly ancient castle off the ghost, I mean the coast of Cuba. The place is filled with mummies and spooks that walk at midnight. There are murders and death warnings planned to frighten Paula and me, but we ain't frightened. I'll match you to see who faints first. what they're trying to make us believe.
reason Paulette and I are such good ghost breakers is that we don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> or do I? Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Down Place is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Um, well, Hammer means how to get a nail into a block of wood. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Should I have said Hammer Pants? 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. The man they are burying in a subterranean world of horror is a victim of the Oblong Box. Now, for the first time, Vincent Price and Christopher Lee star in Edgar Allan Poe's tale of the living dead, The Oblong Box. The Oblong Box in color from American International is rated M. Hi, this is Sarah Karloff, and you're listening to Monster Kid Radio. As a man, I could destroy him. But as a scientist, I should do everything in my power to bring him back to conscious life. Benson, turn on the generator. Produced on a vast scale, Son of Wittgenstein presents the most fearsome cast in the history of the screen. The Rathbone. In his heart, warm human emotions. In his mind, the monster mania. Karloff, rising from the past to spread new terror. Lugosi, sinister, mysterious, evil. Lionel Atwill, grim hatred in his blood. Heaven might think you're a worse fiend than your father. Where is this monster? Where is he? I'll stay by your side until you confess. And if you don't, I'll feed you to the villagers. That sounds great. Yeah, I'm excited to do this too. We'll talk about you know, your background a little bit, talk about the upcoming movie, and if you're going to be involved with that, and just, just have a conversation. I think it'll be fun. Let me start off with this. I have a unique way 
um, despite myself, and uh, not because of myself, of measuring the number of real earnest fans we have for the classic horror films. Okay. And about once or twice a year, I'm invited somewhere in the country, New York, Los Angeles, all over the darn place, to make presentations and to sign hour after hour, one after the other, okay, of the photographs of the Son of Frankenstein and Tower of London and even Bambi in a horror uh, film convention, okay? Right. By the thousands people come, by the thousands. And there are very few classic horror films made anymore. Uh, don't get mad at me. Now, there are horrible films. <laughs> no, <laughs> I agree. Not any, not any, any classic horror films. Okay? The fans should be darn grateful that there's a brand new company. That they've already made one film, and an independent production company called Wolfbane Production. Wolfbane. I tried that name on a couple of very bright people, including a professor here. Wolfbane. What does that mean? They haven't got a clue. You got a couple of minutes later, I'll share what Wolfbane means. Most folks will be shocked. Okay? Interesting story. Anyway, these guys have already made one film, and they're in a very smart, serious production uh, for their second film. And the title of this second one, are you ready? Sure. Tales of Dracula. Dracula. You say that name a certain way, and people's hair ch- uh, changes color. <laughs> or <laughs> should. And this one's about, guess what? Wolfman versus Dracula. Now, I want to see the boys in Vegas uh, lay some bets on that one, okay? <laughs> Wolfman versus Dracula in Wolfbane Productions' Tale of Dracula. And, they, and they're working on it right now. I think they have, I, and I don't know this for sure, they have to, people need to call these guys, these Wolfbane production guys, and people need to call them and, or, or liaison with them some way and find out if they can still pitch in on the funding of it. I think they're still looking for some funding. I hear they're doing very well in that. It's a great chance for fans that I see all the time by the thousands, okay? Not to just stand at a table and let me sign photographs. Watch for this film and maybe participate in the funding of it. Tales of Dracula, indeed. And here's a uniqueness, a real uniqueness, okay? These guys from Wolfbane Productions, they want to put a couple of old, 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 I'm 81 now, okay? Old stars and co-stars of the classic horror films of the 1939, 1938, 1940 vintage, okay? There's a wonderful gal named Janet Gallo. I've had some time with her in the last couple of years. She's really a neat gal. The first time I met her, and she's uh, close to my age, I, I wrote in my journal, no batteries required for this gal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, she has dynamite okay, at any age, and they went for Janet Gallo and me in this new film, Tales of Dracula. And who the heck were high in those days? Well, now I think that was my second or third film out of seven or eight films as, as a child star. And I was the young, the youngest of the son of Frankenstein. Little Peter Van Frankenstein in that super classic you see every Halloween all over the place called Son of Frankenstein. Well, I was that little curdy-headed guy in the film that, be- that befriended uh, Boris Karloff, who was a classic, wonderful guy to play Frankenstein. And uh, every once in a while, I go to these conventions, Derek, and somebody comes up and, and, and says, Well, hello to me, which is a, a reproduction of one of my introduction lines in that film in, in Castle Frankenstein in Transylvania, <laughs> of all places. I'm introduced to all these wonderful European performers playing in Son of Frankenstein, and I'm only a couple of months out of, out of the Deep South, right? And I say, Well, hello, you all. <laughs> 
And I said you all in the rehearsal. <laughs> and I thought the director was going to have a heart attack. And so finally we get take number two, and I just said, well, hello. Sonia Frankenstein and Janet Gallo. And where was she in all this? The Bride of Frankenstein. These guys have got a good chance of putting both of us in this film. Now, what a marketing. Now, think about this for a second. What a marketing super smart thing would that be? Huh? Who in the heck else could, because of age or intelligence or initiative, now reach back and put two classic uh, horror film stars into a brand spanking new one when the public, the old fans, are starving for these classic films. Wolf Bang, Produ uh, Bang Productions is getting ready to do this. Wolf Bang means, in Central Europe, it means a plant. Back in the early 1800s, when they still believed in werewolves, people would put certain plants around in towns, little villages, on the edge of little villages, and they called them wolfbane, okay? And they, they thought that that would scare away, keep, guess what? The werewolves from coming into the house, coming into the town. The wolfbane means stay away, stay away, werewolf, stay away. How do you like that for a title for a production company? Oh, I love it. I love it. I, I'm really excited about what they've got coming up. This is an exciting thing. What I'm excited about most is their initiative. This country was built on initiative. We don't have anywhere near now what we did in the 40s and 60s and even the 70s. And I love these guys. I really love people with this kind of initiative. And this is their second film. These guys know what they're doing. It'll be a great production. I can't wait to get in it. And I know Janet will. She's terrific. Uh, I'm really excited. Tom and Joe DeMuro, they're very uh, excited about making this happen. They're fans like I am. They're going to be making a, a new classic monster movie. It's exciting. And it's way overdue. If, they, if this thing is promoted correctly, Derek, if this thing's promoted even with half energy, okay, it could take off like a rocket. I promise you, if they get on the websites to the classic uh, horror film fans, they won't be able to make enough copies. That's a good thing for them, though, right? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. For them, because they're sticking their neck out on this thing. Mm -hmm. That's what really made this country. We built this country with guys and gals that had initiative, had some brains, had some guts, had a great idea, and stuck their neck out. But to have a title of Wolf Bane is just a delight. I'm having a great time with it. I'm going to make some money on that. So that can keep working. Well, you know what that means? I bet you a quarter. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I am so grateful to hear that you're excited about being involved, too, because that, I mean, that's just going to make it all the better. Because, you, like you said, you were in Son of Frankenstein. So to have that connection to the original classics in this new upcoming classic. Oh, it was a riot. I remember. That was my second or third film. Yeah. I wasn't jaded then, but I was six years old going on 10 or 12, <laughs> okay? You know, when I really was, and I was reading papers, at, uh, newspapers at age five, age five and six, and that's it. You don't earn that one. That's just a DNA luck, piece of luck, okay? Oh, okay, okay. Anyway, I was aware of things, and uh, that was my second or third film, and, and uh, I, I did a couple, uh, another one with uh, Boris Karloff called Tower of London, about four or five months later, as I remember. Anyway, uh, on Son of Frankenstein, <laughs> I met Karloff, wonderful man. In the cafeteria at Universal with my mother and a couple other folks, I think Roland B. Lee, the director, had a little introduction luncheon, and he was in a sport coat, and he, he looked like a, a professional boxer. That's what I thought he was, okay? Oh, wow. He didn't have any makeup on, and he was funny. He was really funny. He could have been a stand-up comic all those years. He was really a great guy. When we first, I first saw him 
on the set in Universal, and we're getting ready to make a, a very important uh, scene. The scenes were shot out of sequence. People think that the movies are shot in sequence. That's not so. Well, they may be today with all the computer systems, but in those days, <laughs> they weren't. They were shot as you could put your sets together, okay? Sure. And as uh, people were available. Anyway, we're getting ready for um, the first scene I would, I would see him in costume, right? I'm standing there, and I'm going to be in the scene, and I'm ready to go. And the script girl has given me my lines. I don't forget my lines. There comes Mr. Karloff, clumping along with shoes that hurt him. I learned later that costume hurt that wonderful guy because mm-hmm. it was real lead and real heavy stuff. And here it comes, clump, clump, clumping up, right? And I recognize him right away, even with all the makeup on. I started laughing. I don't mean a little bit loud. I was really laughing. The sound man right next to me started laughing. Mr. Lee just kind of shook his head. He was a wonderful, gentle man, Roland the director. And other folks, even Basil Rathbone, who was behind me, I didn't see him, he started laughing. And we hadn't even started the scene yet, and the director says, take a break, take ten. <laughs> <laughs> they should have fired me, by the way. I ruptured the very first scene. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that's great. It sounds like it was a very uh, a fun set to be on with Karloff, and I imagine Basil Rathbone was fun to be around. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's something that the, the ooh, ooh, nine or ten years ago when they realized that uh, I was reported killed in action years ago. And I obviously wasn't. I never talked about the movies. Never, never, never until just about ten, twelve years ago when they discovered I was still alive. Okay. When, when that happened, I remember at one of the very first conventions, I, I, I told a little short story about um, Mr. Karloff and um, Basil Rathbone standing up for Bella Lugosi. Uh-huh. On a contract negotiation. Okay. I heard some of this as a child, but I did not understand it. I remember asking my mother, what does leverage mean? What, what, are they, what are they talking about? And I still didn't understand until maybe I was 12 or 13, away from the films, uh, would read my papers about things. Okay. Here's a true story. And the wonderful people managing Universal 10 years ago, I guess now, uh, they did not know about that. They're too young. They had to go back and look it up. They tried to, the, um, the producers of Son of Frankenstein, or somebody in the front office at Universal tried to leverage Lugosi, who they wanted really bad, in Son of Frankenstein, a classic performer. Sure. Because uh, he had uh, some financial trouble that everybody apparently knew about. And they were really leveraging him, and Carlo found out about it, and Basil Rathbone is a very distinguished and super true intellectual man, okay? Uh, they went to the head office, and they stood their ground. We're not going to do this if you leverage this man this way. So they changed their contract a couple of times with Lugosi, and then they put Lugosi in the film. Now, <laughs> this is really funny. You could not make Basil Rathbone angry if you, you shot a BB gun at him, okay? <laughs> a very gentle, well-disposed man. And I, I had a lot of time around him over two, about two years. Mm-hmm. And I remember well. Uh, the only time I ever saw Basil Rathbone a little bit disturbed and, and that was really rare. I mean, my gosh, I thought he was sick or something, you know, was when we did take and then another change of script, change of script, change of script, change. At least four changes that I can remember as a child with a good memory, maybe more, uh, changes in the original script were made because, guess what? Lugosi's performance was so good, they kept writing him into other scenes. Right on. And, and we had to change this, change that. People had to change their lines, change the sequence. Uh, now, you don't see that when you watch the film. But if you're off in the wing somewhere behind the light line and you're going through another script change three or four times, uh, it gets your attention. And it got uh, got to Basil Rathbone's attention. He didn't like it. But uh, Lugosi uh, 
uh, did an incredible job, and he was the only one that didn't socialize in the film. Oh, okay. And by that I mean, between takes, we didn't have, the stages in those days were, were made out of heavy plywood, heavy stuff. It took linebackers to move that stuff around. Nowadays I hear that they can change the sets that quick with all kinds of uh, images and computerization, smart stuff. In those days, it was hard to move the sets around, okay? So we had a lot of time between breaks, and I never hardly saw Lugosi. Uh, he would do his roles extremely well. Who else could do that? And he would go away, and I wouldn't see him. We had a couple of birthday parties. I never saw him. We had a Christmas party. I didn't see him. Con- and in contrast to that, <laughs> Frankenstein <laughs> and wonderful Carl, uh, he was the entertainment center of the whole darn thing. So the final scene, one of the final scenes is, is we're in the pit. I hope this Wolfbang production company does something like this. This is going to be a riot, okay? Remember that toward the end of the film in Son of Frankenstein, we're at the sulfur pit up in the laboratory in Transylvania, and, and Koloff has got his foot on me, right? Right. Uh, holding me down uh, as a hostage because of Lugosi, his buddy, has, uh, has been killed, and he's blaming everybody. And while we were buddies before, now I'm his hostage, right? Got his foot on me. <laughs> it took <laughs> us half a day to make that scene because Koloff knew I was ticklish. I don't oh, mean no. a little bit ticklish. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm still ticklish. I boxed in the Marine Corps for many years, boxing team, right? Mm-hmm. I was always terrified that some, one, one, of these, one of these tough young Marine kids would find out that I was really ticklish and get me on, in, a, in a clutch. I don't like fighting in a clutch, okay? <laughs> and, and, and take the laces, you know, and, the lace, and rub them on my side. The, the base news, Camp Telton base newspaper would say, Dunnigan, TKO'd by tickling or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was really ticklish. And he knew that. Karloff knew that. So he got in front of me. That wonderful Roll and Believe director. And I bet Whoopbang Production can match him, okay? Wow. Roll and Believe was a, way ahead of his time in Shadows. We're all black and white films, right? It had the lights move, the lights move, right? So I'm on the ground for at least 20 or 30 minutes before we even have take one. And he's got his foot kind of on me gently, right? He knew I was sick. He starts rubbing me with the toe of that big boot on my side. <laughs> I started laughing. And I don't mean a little bit. I'm really laughing, me. And he started laughing. And guess what happens? The contagion, like a virus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody started laughing. Poor, poor Mr. Lee finally had his lights in place. All right. Take 20. <laughs> and we, came back, we came back after 20, and we happened again. My mom is very, a wonderful lady. Sitting on the side, I know she's worried I'm going to get fired. <laughs> we finally got that scene made. Years later, even today, children come up to me when I do a little, I do orphanage work, okay? uh-huh. and, 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 and and children's hospitals work every chance I get. And they find out about Bambi and the Frankenstein. We have a great time with the kids. Uh, some of the children that are, are very uh, aware and astute in these things, they will say, Dr. Dunnigan or, or, or Major Dunnigan or whatever, they, Banana Dunnigan, whatever they call me, you know. <laughs> weren't you afraid of that guy? Weren't you afraid of him? <laughs> I break out laughing because I should have my time laughing with Boris Karloff and not being afraid of him. Wow. I, I hope they can cash somebody in this thing. I probably you know, These guys are smart. I bet they already have. Okay? Uh, so put some uh, um, Dracula in this film that they're going to make that they're working on so hard because the fans will love it. They're hungry for it. They're going to love it to death. Why do you think we love these old classic movies so much even today? Oh, 
I have had a bunch of interviews, uh-huh. Derek. That is the first time, and I'm very. I'm, what's the word? I'm tuned in and sensitive to interview interrogatives. Okay, questions. Uh-huh. That is the first one of that, including London BBC. That's the first person that's asked that question, and that is an extremely important one. Thank you. Sure. Um, Book Bane Production owes you a, uh, an extra banana. Okay. <laughs> That's a great question. I have an answer. I thought about this heavy, okay. um, uh, more than more than little. Okay, when I present production, big production companies, uh, big film companies, okay, including Western Europe, uh, one in uh, in Suffolk, England, for example, mm-hmm. and they make some of these modern films, are likely even trying to touch a horror uh, image. Okay, sure. there's violent, vulgar, a lot of blood, uh, more vulgar, excessive violence. Okay, and when we're not making an attempt at a horror film, there's more shoot 'em up, blow 'em up, blow 'em up stuff. Uh, and, and parents, thoughtful parents are sensitive to it. Educators are sensitive to it. I know some professors that are very sensitive to it, and I am. When you show, and we have an experience with this recent, when you show classic. My first movie was Mother Carries Chickens, based okay. on a true story, World War One, uh, out of Memphis, Tennessee. That were Faye Boehner in it, Walter Brennan. Uh, I'm in almost every other scene, and it's a little five-year-old kid having a great time. And I really was having a great time, by the way. My very first movie. When you show Mother Carrie's Chickens, or even Tower of London, or Son of Frankenstein, or some of these other films, Bambi, <laughs> some of these other films that I had a, a part in, and and I'm very aware of, to children and parents today, okay, they say. Why don't we have more of this? Why don't we have more of this? Why don't we have more of this? And I've sent some of those quotes into the uh, production people in, in Hollywood. Why don't we have more of this? Okay. And, and some of the parents today, uh, or um, I hate to use this term, because I certainly don't feel this way about our press and things, but uh, I know some parents today that are censoring access while, while they can, while the children are still young enough to get away with it, uh, from seeing some of this stuff. The cultured audience in this country today, and I use that word cultured uh, with respect, that loves these old classic films, wants to have the excitement of an adventure and the fantasy. The fantasy! By golly, there was a wolfman back in Transylvania in 1810 or something, you know. <laughs> they want to enjoy the fantasy without all the blood, without all the swearing, without all the vulgar stuff. And that's my bottom line on that. And I just, I, I bet you I can market that to some producer in uh, California if I could ever get one assigned by 10 minutes. <laughs> and I bet you, I bet you that's what Wolfbane uh, guys are doing. And they're going to put together uh, um, um, a classic type uh, horror film that uh, uh, the fans will just love to death. Oh, sure. I, I am really excited about what they've got cooking because, like you said, it doesn't have you know, the violence and the over-the-top and all that. It, it's a, re, a, a respectful homage to the classic movies that we love. Yeah. You were in a couple of them, but were you also a fan of these growing up, these types of movies? I, I wasn't so about, I'm going to draw the line on that. I think somewhere between age 20 and 22 okay. when the, uh, the, the style of films uh, changed. Mm. And I had my own first family children around. Um, I was. Now, I don't want the industry, and I don't want these guys what <laughs> bang to get mad at me, but I see very few movies. Sure. And I'm not a prude, uh, very neutral, zero, I'm, I don't, I'm not an organized religious person, I'm a very disciplined, independent man. Mm-hmm. But I have had 
a life very different than some of the folks that, uh, that cheer violence on. I was a, a Marine for 25 years, went through all the ranks, I mean all the ranks, okay, uh, to become a battalion commander. Uh, a very young, I think the youngest one at the time, young first sergeant in the Marine Corps before I was commissioned, have had a lot of violence. I've dropped the hammer on way too many, in my opinion, young folks in, uh, in uniform in Vietnam in a war that uh, we should be uh, looking at wh- how that ever got started, seriously. I've had a lot of violence. Uh, I was a counterintelligence uh, agent officer, counterintelligence during the Cold War, on loan out of the uh, loan from the Marine Corps, all over the place. I know how to spell violence without a hyphen. Gotcha. Right? Okay. So I, I don't need it uh, artificially. Uh, I did a lot of boxing in the ring uh, from age 14 to age 32, <laughs> and I lost five fights, 122, wow. uh, and all kinds of other stuff. I don't care what's the word. I'm not attracted to the artificials. Right? Gotcha. Okay. I loved uh, I loved uh, Eastwood, but I, I loved some of the Eastwood work and a few others. But uh-huh. so some of the guys I really admire are all gone. Jimmy Cagney, some others. But I, I enjoy the I enjoy the old classic films that have storylines that you have to think about. Okay, uh, that's a and with good scriptwriters that surprise you uh, intellectually even. Um, without all the bang bang blow them up blow them up blow them up. Okay. I know a teacher here, brilliant, courageous uh, lady uh, in the high, high school system here, and uh, she's a, a powerful intellect, and she uh, counted the homicides, not the involuntary manslaughter ones. <laughs> That's how bright she was. She segregated that one up. The, the homicides in the films that children could watch during just certain times without exaggerating it, okay, over a month, is staggering, 1,100 plus. Wow. 1,100 plus. So if I'm a child and I don't have a, my parents are not tutoring me with something and I'm, the television system is kind of a proxy babysitter, even in my own house, as often happens. Or I have my own television, my own room. Uh, I could, even if I cut that in half, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing 500 violent deaths a month and we wonder why our attitudes and such things change. Why our children do some things. Why well, we have bullies. You know, we had no bullies in my high school. Huh. No, we had one. Okay. We ran, no, don't get mad at me. I, I don't want the wolf bang, bang guys to get mad at me, but we ran his ass off. <laughs> <laughs> now he was a really bad, a bad dude, right? They, we flipped coins and I got the, I got the, uh, the uh, nice job of doing that. He's a bum. We ran him off. The only one in my high school. Now, it's an epidemic. And we almost have to have, I've organized something called uh, Bully Busters. Bully Busters. I'm trying to recruit the athletes that uh, have good character to, to be um, uh, the guardians and the marshals uh, without badges in our schools. Or watch for these guys and calm it down. And uh, all this, all the uh, violence that is totally unnecessary in our films is, is uh, contributing. You can do some subtle things. That One of the reasons why uh, the... Uh, the potential of a Wolfman versus Dracula is because just the, their characters, okay, give you ammunition to have all kinds of suggested things. And you can have a, a body here, a body there, a body there, but not like we're doing today. Every three, four minutes, somebody getting blown up, you know? No, I think there is a definite difference between the movies today and the movies uh, from that era, because you don't have to see it all, and you don't get so over the top. The bodies aren't piling up. 
I mean, it's a yeah. scary movie. I mean, we're talking about monsters and that sort of thing, but it's, there's an element of fantasy and escapism to it. Thank you. That is a very bright observation. That, that I'll put a trader on that, then I'll do whatever you ask me, ask me to do. Um, <laughs> about three and a half years ago, uh, New York Times ran a piece. Uh, somebody had done, a, I think uh, some graduate students at uh, one of the universities there had done a, a really intelligent survey with a, a lot of seniors, and then they went to a, a middle-aged a group, separate, um, asking them to uh, tell them what the uh, drama or disturb, uh, film that disturbed you the most. Mm-hmm. I don't think the word violence was in their in, uh, interrogative, but disturbed you the most. Uh, mystery films, horror films, horror films was, was in, in the list, okay? Guess what is in number five? Hmm. Bambi. <laughs> no kidding. And you know what? And I hear it all the time. When I go to these conventions, particularly the, uh, the, the ones that are, that are motivating uh, uh, the animated films, yeah. and, uh, and I'm a guest all the time, I hear this all the time from people that are 65, 55, 20. When I saw that, I cried. I saw I couldn't look. I had to look away. I don't, what are they talking about? Yeah? Bambi's mother being shot off camera. Off camera. Oh, good point. And then a, a few frames later, boom, boom, bang in the forest with these reckless uh, hunters. Bambi is shot suggestively off camera. I am a unique witness. Disney Corporation loves this one, truly. I'm a unique witness to that. I, Mr. Disney, when he saw the artwork, not the film, the sketch artwork, okay, that the very genius artist that he kept on for so many wonderful years, trying to follow the book, um, the, the original Bambi book line, okay, had Bambi's mother shot on camera. It's a ballistic hole and, and a sign of some blood and, and dropping down, boom, right? He muted that out. He said, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't show the death. Don't show it that way. Have a gunshot, have a, some physical reaction, and falling down. Don't show the bullet wound. Off camera. And they did the same thing with my um, uh, gunshot. And I, they didn't kill me, of course, late in the film. But uh, I was shot suggestively off camera. To this day, to have intelligent people in large numbers come up to you and say, and Dan and I witness this all the time, and our guests witness it all the time, oh, I love that film. It was so sad I had to look away. I had to look away. I had to put my hand over my child's eyes. Wow. Now, this is in, I want to look, I'm really great guys from Wolfbane to pick up on this. This is in an era right now when what are they seeing, whether they want to or not, Boom, boom, bang, bang, blood, 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 right? Mm-hmm. They responded more to the, just like you said a moment ago, to the suggestion, to the imagination, as opposed to the, the blatant overtness of boom, boom, bang, bang. I think it would cheapen it. If you had seen it in Bambi, it would have cheapened that scene and made it less effective. Thank you. I mean, uh, that late, wonderful Disney would probably said the same thing to you. And uh, he was very, and he was probably the very first environmental scene maker. You know, he got hate me all over that over that film from the hunters in the country. Oh, really? Right, right. And oh. I want I want to spend right extra. I'm, I will if you want me to. But I want to spend extra time on that. I'm really excited, and I don't use that word callously. I've had some bang bang excitement in my life. Sure. I'm really excited about the, the fact that these guys have got the guts and the brains to put this together. If you edit this out or whatever you do with this thing, whatever they do with it, fine with me. I'm a very open guy. Folks that that. Uh, they want to have a little adventure in their life. Um, turn off the artificial bang bang on the television. Get a hold of these guys. You might have a chance to help fund this thing. Yeah, I think so. I think getting that project 
funded so we can see this movie. I'm excited at the prospect of Dracula versus Wolfman. You said at the beginning that you want to see what the odds are. Who do you think wins in a fight, Dracula or the Wolfman? Me. Oh. <laughs> I don't think those guys box. I saw box real good. <laughs> I can show course boxing in the ring, truly. Now, I want headgear, and I want that 20-year-old to understand he just stop banging my head too hard. Okay? Oh, there we go. Okay, there we go. We'll let, we'll let him know. <laughs> let him know. Let him know. You give me a 60-year-old, and he's in trouble. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm just thrilled that they reached out to you, and they have, again, this connection to these classic films that we love so much and you've done a few conventions you go and you give presentations do you get the entire range of ages of fans you know little kids and older people or is it all kind of an older crowd that comes up to you to talk about these movies now we're going out next week to california as guests oh wow uh, to make a couple of presentations and i'll sit at a table probably for a total of uh, 14 to 15 hours in two days wow. and sign one after the other uh, copies of the of Son of Frankenstein and Tower of London and and even ba- and Bambi right there, okay, in a horror film uh, convention in uh, Los Angeles at uh, Windham, uh, right by the LAX next weekend. And uh, when we were there last year or the year before, there was a line in front of my table, ten to twenty deep, seven hours a day. Children with parents. Teenagers by themselves. Oh, wow. Old, middle age. Almost nobody was my age. I'm 81. <laughs> but but there were all ages. Now, if you go to a uh, Disney uh, sponsored or a animation type convention, the children, uh, if, if I can say 12 years and, and younger, are about a third the audience. On, on what we're going to go through next weekend, it's at least one out of six children. Lots of teens, uh, depending on the time of day and where it is and how easy it is to get to, like a, a Woodham near LAX, which is pretty darn easy to get to, have all kinds of uh, age groups. What I think is important, and I wish I, I wish I knew these guys, they're putting this thing together. What I think is important on this, this wonderful chance they have with Tales of Dracula, okay? Have it suggestive. You cannot guess it. You can't figure it out. You know why some of the old movies made so darn much money in the 30s and early 40s? The, the murder mysteries. Remember the old murder mysteries? Okay? I don't know how old you are, but I remember them really well. Okay? <laughs> it'd be like, I don't care if you were William F. Buckley and you were a teenager or you were Einstein in Yale University. Okay? You couldn't figure out some of those plots. You just couldn't figure them out. You know, it wasn't always the butler that's going to get the rap. You know? Sure. If they take this potential of Dracula and really pump that one out because there are young people today that might know the teenagers honor students in the high school here might pick up on oh I read something about Dracula if they pump that word Dracula the the wolfman will be a surprise to most but Dracula if they even pronounce it right you can change people's hair color with that oh yeah oh yeah they, they should have a great time with this thing. Oh, yeah. It's one of those words. It's one of those names. You just say it, and you – I got goosebumps just thinking about Dracula right now. <laughs> you know? It's it's just one of those things. But then I'm a monster kid, too, so I love these movies so much that it's pretty much all I watch anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, this has been really great. I appreciate you spending some time with me and, and chatting with me. And, you know, my podcast listeners are going to love this. And I'm sure the people who are involved with Wolfbane Productions, Wolfbane Productions is going to love it. Uh, I kn- I've seen some of their work and they love what they do. And that comes through. And it sounds like they're going to love having you involved. Thank you. And, and Janet. Yeah. J- Janet is a, is easy to coach. She's got a great personality. She's one of those kind of people that she, if she walks in the room and there's 15 there, now, I know where women get mad at me on this, okay? Because I'm not a chauvinist jerk, okay? But so she's not a, a young, cutesy girl anymore. She's a, a distinguished, really, really an attractive lady. When she walks into a, a, a room, and I've seen this happen a year and a half ago, and even though folks don't know who she is, they sense she is somebody. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Sure. There's a little bit of an aura about her, and then when she starts, when she starts talking with you, uh, her eyes flash. You know, and uh, after about age forty, it's hard, hard, kind of hard to get those lamps to flash. You know? <laughs> her, her eyes flash. She's a very attractive, bubbling personality. They're gonna love her. <laughs> That's fantastic. Man, I, this is going to be a real treat. It's been a treat chatting with you today, sir. Uh, you know, I didn't get a chance to say this earlier. Thank you for all of your service in the, in the services and the Marines for all that you've done. Thank you for all the wonderful memories of the movies that you've given me. And thank you for taking the time today. You're most welcome, by golly. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon, I hope. I hope so, too. Thank you. How cool was that? We had Donnie, the son of Frankenstein. He provided the voice of Bambi. He was here on Monster Kid Radio. That's just, you know, I'm still overwhelmed and I, I don't really know what else to say other than Donnie Dunnigan, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. It was a real treat. And like I said, I'd love to have him back on the show in the future. He is really excited at the prospect of Wolfbane Productions making another movie, another Tales of Dracula film. And I'm excited. Now, Tales of Dracula, the first film already came out. It, for a long time, was number one on the charts over at Alpha Video at oldies.com. You know, I really enjoyed it, too. I've watched it a couple of times now. However, and, and this was, I think, the general consensus with a lot of people who saw this movie, it does kind of end before any big climactic battle happens. It's kind of a setup. And it's a tease, and it's oh so good, and I cannot wait to see what happens with part two. And you know what? They're even going to be working on a part three. So here's what you do. You go to YouTube and you look up the username Count Dracula. That is the Wolfbane Productions YouTube channel. There is a Donnie Dunnigan endorsement video here where he is talking to the camera and being excited about Wolfbane Productions putting together Tales of Dracula. Also here, you're going to find a link to the funding page. So much like Christopher R. Mim does with his movies, Wolfbane Productions is looking for funding right now, and they're opening it up to anybody who wants to help support their filmmaking goals. So you go over to WBP, that's Wolfbane Productions Funding.weebly.com or follow the link in the show notes, and you're going to see where you can donate to the film. Now, they're not going through Indiegogo. They're not going through Kickstarter. They're doing this direct, which again, Christopher R. Mim does it. Works great for him. I think it'll work great for Wolfbane Productions as well, in order to get Donnie Dunnigan involved, as well as a few other people, they need to have a budget. This is where the budget's going to come from. 
I wish Wolfbane Productions the absolute best. And I know a few things about what's happening behind the scenes that I can't really talk about yet, but I think, listeners, you're going to be excited when some of this information comes out. But it's not my story to tell, it's theirs, and they can only do it if you help them out by donating. Again, big thanks to Donnie Dunnigan. Thanks to Joe and Tom from Wolfbane Productions for putting me in contact with Mr. Dunnigan. It was a real treat. This is the voice of the uninvited. It's coming from downstairs. It comes from everywhere and nowhere. A house of terror on the haunted cliffs of Cornwall, where the uninvited walk unseen by men. Yet a cat arches its back in fright. Flowers are withered by the touch of an unseen malignant hand. Candles flicker and die as a ghostly chill fills the air, and the living are clutched by the icy horror of the restless dead. Stop, Pamela. Don't go near that door. The Uninvited, Dorothy McCardle's gripping novel of the supernatural, comes to the screen, starring Raymond Land, Ruth Hussey, Donald Crisp, with Cornelia Otis Skinner, and introducing the exciting beauty of Gail Russell, whose first love is shadowed by the specters of the past. Stella, what is it? Are you ill, Stella? Quiet. Leave her alone. Oigon. Oigon. Stop her, Scott. Shh. She's in a trance. I saw this happen once before at a seance. I thought it was a fake. But this isn't. I know. It's dangerous. Please get out of this house now. Now lie there quietly. I'm not afraid of anything here. Then be afraid. Be afraid for heaven's sake. When you were a little child, the evils of this house reached out for you. Stella, go! Go! A motion picture shot full of thrills based on scientific facts described in leading national magazines. You'll be hypnotized. You'll be terrorized. You'll be paralyzed. See a dead man come from beyond the grave. See Columbia Pictures startling. Creature with the Atom Ray. Monster Kid Radio has a Patreon page where you can help support the show financially and depending on what level of your patronage on patreon.com slash monsterkidradio, you can earn yourself certain rewards. First of all, a number of you have rewards coming, like being able to potentially pick show topics, things like that. Drop me a line and let me know what you want to hear about here on the show. If it's relevant to MKR, we'll get to it. Also, if you support the show at the AIP level or higher, you get mentioned in the executive producer special thanks roll call once a month. So without further ado, special thanks to Mike Chutino, Justin Giallo, Mitch Gonzalez, Tom and Eileen, Andy Campbell, Tracy and Scott Morris, Joseph Perry, Frank Schildener, Stephen Turner, and Sean Hode. You can find all of their names over on our website at monsterkidradio.net, along with the other people who support Monster Kid Radio at the Poverty Row or lower level. Thank you so much, guys and gals, for helping to support Monster Kid Radio this way. 
I don't know about you monster kids, but my October didn't exactly go as planned. Now, I don't want to rehash any of the negative. I've already talked a little bit about that on previous episodes of Monster Kid Radio. That said, there were a number of really good things to come out of October and Halloween 2015, and I hope that's the case for you, too. Now, the month started off the best way possible. When my wife and I first considered moving to Portland, Oregon, she was more gung-ho about it than I was. She'd been to the area before, but I never even really considered it until I realized Portland was the home to the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Now, I was a Lovecraft fan before moving to Oregon and had ordered a couple of VHS tapes from a company called Beyond Books. And I think that's how I first saw things like John Streisek's short film adaptation of Lovecraft's The Music of Eric Zahn, as well as a handful of other short Lovecraft films. When I realized my wife was talking about us moving to the home of Beyond Books, the place where this Lovecraft film festival thing took place, I was kind of in. And that the festival started at the beginning of October was a bonus. Now, over the years, Beyond Books closed. The fest was handed over to new festival directors, and there was even a short period when the festival didn't happen during the month of Halloween. But when it moved back to October, it was glorious. And this year's event was the 20th anniversary of the festival, and I had a blast. Now, episode 238 of this podcast covered my experience at the HPL Film Festival, so I won't rehash it here, but I'll say it again. I had a blast. And because of that, October was off to a good start. Then the local store started putting their Halloween decorations out on display, and the Spirit Halloween store started emailing me coupons for their overpriced Halloween costumes and decorations. Local theaters started advertising what they were going to run during this spooky season, and I planned some Monster Kid Radio crashes to take advantage of these movies. A few years ago, and this was before I started Monster Kid Radio, Turner Classic Movies got together with Fathom Events and ran Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein in various theaters across the country. This year, TCM and Fathom did it again with a couple of other films. This time around, they brought in the original Dracula and the Spanish-language version of Dracula, both from 1931, and wow, they looked awesome. It was digital, and I'm sure there was some cleanup involved, especially with the Lugosi Dracula, so they looked pretty sharp, with the exception of a few scenes in the Spanish-language Dracula that looked noticeably rough. I'm guessing it probably came from a different source. That said... It didn't really ruin the experience of seeing these two movies on the big screen. However, the Century 16 Cedar Hill Cinemark did try pretty hard to muck it up by turning the house lights back on as soon as the introduction to Dracula was finished and the movie proper started. This is why we need people in the projection booth, people. I'm just saying. Anyway, I haven't sat down to watch the Lugosi Dracula since I bought it on Blu-ray as part of that box set Universal put out a few years ago. And I remember then being quite taken with how incredible it looked. Seeing it projected larger than life was even better. And I was quite taken with the enormity of the sets, the production design. Man, it was good. There's a bit where Dracula passes through a spider web without really disrupting it. I've seen this movie so many times, but that bit of business never really made a mark on me. This time... It did, and I was right there with Dwight Fry's Renfield portrayal. His reaction mirrored mine. The highlight of the evening, though, was the Spanish-language version of Dracula. Despite having had Dracula on DVD and Blu-ray for years, I've never watched the movie. I just never got around to it. Not entirely sure why, it just never caught my attention. <laughs> I was making a pretty big mistake. It was very cool to see this movie, and on the big screen, immediately after the original... To see the same sets used in different ways, to see the same story told through a slightly different filter, and I don't mean a camera filter, but storytelling filter, 
different choices made by the actors, etc., etc. Very cool. Now, I do think I prefer Lugosi's Dracula to Carlos Valerius. I probably mispronounced that, sorry. As well as Fry's Renfield to the Renfield portrayed by Pablo Alvarez Rubio. But I still enjoyed what they did. The over-the-top laughter of Rubio as Renfield was a lot more jarring than Fry's low, creepy laugh. But it certainly wasn't better. It just had a different effect. And no one tops Lugosi as Dracula. Period. But director George Melfield did something interesting by choosing a slightly different way of showing a close-up of Valerius's eyes. It made me think more of Christopher Lee than Bela Lugosi. Anyway, the Spanish Dracula was a lot of fun, even if bits of it played a little like a European melodrama, or maybe even a silent comedy. And I had fun watching it. Alone. See, there is a break between both Dracula films, and I used that time to get some popcorn and something to drink. When I came back, almost everyone else had left the theater. There was one older couple to the left and somewhere behind me, but about halfway through the Spanish film, they got up and left. I had the theater to myself, and it was glorious. Okay, fast forward. Near the end of October, I returned to a movie theater, this time heading to the Northwest Film Center for their screening of 1943's I Walked with a Zombie. Now, Monster Kid Radio has talked about this movie a couple of years ago with Paul McComas back in episodes 48 and 49. But even before then, I was a fan of this film. I was invited to chat about it on the B-Movie cast back in 2010. Even when I was full-on, I love all zombie movies mode, this one was a favorite. And, yeah. My assumption that the Northwest Film Center would be screening a film print as opposed to something digital was correct. The movie was in beautiful 35mm, and there was a decent crowd. Now, someone from the film center introduced the movie and was talking about Val Luton, the use of Shadow, the director Jacques Tourneur, and I just sat there, grinning like a happy, classic film-loving idiot, nodding happily away, and the presenter saw me sitting there, nodding along to everything he was saying. He pointed me out to the crowd. This guy knows what I'm talking about, he would say. Those were the only two movies I saw in the theater this past October, but I watched a lot at home. You see, I traditionally take Halloween Day off from my day job so I can stay home and watch monster movies. But since Halloween was on a weekend this year, I decided to take October 30th off too, giving myself a three-day weekend and an extra day to watch monster movies. Now, in previous years, I've used the opportunity to catch up on some movies I hadn't seen yet, but this year I didn't hold myself to that. Instead, I dove right into some of the new Blu-rays I've picked up over the past few months to see if the movies held up to their previous releases or incarnations. Although, starting with something like Manos, The Hands of Fate might not have been the wisest choice. Okay, actually, I take that back. I'm one of those sickos that actually enjoys Manos straight. And I was a contributor to the Blu-ray restoration campaign for this thing, so I figured it was time to give the disc a viewing. No, the movie's not any better. It's still pretty terrible. In fact, I kind of think restoring it didn't really help the film. Instead of the long, awkward shots and bizarre cuts being somehow masked a little bit by a scratchy print or a blurry transfer, they're just highlighted even more. Now, I still applaud the process, though, and I know the next time I watch Manos, this is the version I'll watch. I still dig the movie, even though I really should know better. Now, I stepped a little outside of the Monster Kid Radio wheelhouse when I put in my next movie. It was the German Blu-ray of the movie The Lorelei's Grasp. A girl's boarding school is living a nightmare. Who will be the next victim?
The Claws of Lorelei. The heart was gone. Sounds like a very old story I once heard that was told to me when I was a child. I still can't get it out of my mind. What story? The Lorelei. The monster stalks. Terror dominates their lives. The legend has turned into reality. Lorelei will be transformed into an obscene beast. She must devour human hearts in order to return to her centuries-old dream. You will stay with me throughout eternity. The Claws of Lorelei. In order to live, it is necessary to kill. The Claws of Lorelei. With Tony Kendall, Elga Line, Silvia Tortosa, Loretta Tobar, of Lorelei, a spectacular film with a chilling story of terror and death. <laughs> the Claws of Lorelei. Directed by Armando de Osorio. The Claws of Lorelei. Next on this screen. Now, this is a 1974 film directed by Armando de Osorio. And I was first introduced to this when I first started working with Dorado Films a few years ago. I even had a chance to introduce the movie when it was screened at the Clinton Street Theater. Now, I respond well to movies featuring monster hunter types. And the Lorelei's grasp is kind of like that. There's a monster a Lorelei, going around killing people, and a hunter is brought in to protect the all-girls school from this beast. Now, because this movie is from the 70s and is from Europe, yeah, it's a little sexy and bloody. Probably a bit more so than most of the movies we talk about here on MKR. But it is a monster movie. I do enjoy it. It's my show, so... All right, you know what? I like this movie. Helga Linné is one of my favorite European actresses, and it's cool to see something other than the Blind Dead movies when it comes to the filmography of director Armando Diasorio. And the German Blu-ray looks very nice. The transfer is solid, and it sounds good, too. Oh, The Lorelei's Grasp, it was also released here in the States as When the Screaming Stops. Ridiculous title, but us Americans probably didn't know what a Lorelei was when this was released here in the U.S., Next up for me was It, the Terror from Beyond Space. How could that thing have gotten aboard? And why? Just to kill us? There's a usual reason an intelligent creature kills. It's hungry. 
What makes you so certain it's intelligent, Colonel? Not just an animal. Can't open the door to see compartment. In the silent void of outer space, puny man matches his cunning against a monster from Mars running rampant, howling for all the flesh and blood on Earth. films put this out as a bare bones release earlier this year and i kept meaning to get to it and i just never did and while i think the blu-ray medium is wasted when it comes to bare bones releases this does look and sound pretty nice i was a little worried about the often talked about ill-fitting headpiece standing out in 1080p but i didn't really notice it all that much this is a fun and relatively short movie and it was nice to have on as a palate cleanser after something like the lorelei's grasp all right backing up a little bit when i was a kid in grade school I distinctly remember writing an essay for school about Halloween. Now, this would have been either third or fourth grade, I think, and it was after I discovered the Crestwood House monster books in the school library. Now, because of those books, I knew the names of Lugosi, Karloff, both Cheney's, etc. I decided back then that Halloween should be about the classics. So, in this essay, this wise-ass third or fourth grader, Derek, declared that people should not dress up as princesses and princes and pirates and all that for Halloween, but... For the holiday, they should honor Bela, Boris, and all the rest. I really wish I still had that essay somewhere. Not that I think it's particularly well-written. I'm sure it's pretty terrible. But I think it would be fun to read and maybe share with people here on the show. I keep meaning to ask my mom about it. I'll try to remember to do that next time I talk to her. Anyway, this Halloween, I realized I hadn't honored any of the greats yet. And after I walked with a zombie, I was still in a Val Luton mood. So I put in my DVD of The Body Snatcher. Sure, Lugosi's got a pretty small role in this one, but both he and Karloff are on screen, and I haven't seen this one in quite a while. It actually been so long that I forgot about the twist at the end. <laughs> you and I should work together. You mean we would sell the bodies to the doctors together? To dig them up, there'll be no digging. The kirkyards are too well guarded. We will, so to speak, burk them. Killed her. We can't be sure of that. I'm sure, and I mean to report it. It's like Burke and Hare all over again. That is. Grave robbing is one thing, but this is murder. You ordered this subject, received it here, and paid for it. That makes you a party to murder. You must leave this house. I can't do that. You hurt McFarlane. Save yourself, Master Fettis. Look at McFarlane. Gray, I must be rid of you. You become a cancer, a malignant, evil cancer, rotting my mind. Never get rid of me, darling. Okay, before continuing here, I'd like to give my wife a shout-out. Not because she might hear me recording or listen to this, but she really deserves a shout-out. Okay, actually, she deserves more than that. She gets to live with a guy who's obsessed with black and white monster movies, podcasts all the time, and really hates pants. She tolerates my spending a little time every weekend going through the TV listings of TCM, MeTV, ThisTV, RetroTV, and all the others looking for movies to put on the DVR. And this time of year, there's so much stuff. Our DVR is nearly 80% full right now, so instead of pulling another movie out of my collection, I decided to pick a movie off the DVR to watch. 
And that's how I ended up watching William Castle's Homicidal. For the first time in screen history, a special interval will be provided during the running of this picture for refunding your admission. If you're unable to stand the almost unbearable suspense, the almost paralyzing shock of homicidal. If homicide is your hobby, uh, may I recommend a surgical knife for a nice, clean, quiet, murder. I'm William Castle, and uh, uh, this wheelchair is just to rest my tired nerves after producing a picture like this one. We are so sure you will find it such a shocking and startling experience that we are offering a money-back guarantee when you come to see homicidal. At the height of the suspense, there will be a fright break, an interval during which you can quiet your nerves. If you are too frightened to see the end of the picture, your full admission price will be refunded. Time to go downstairs now. Got a date to carve a corpse. Wow. Now, I knew this was basically a psycho knockoff and all, but that's it. I'd never seen it before, and I really enjoyed it. It's one of those movies that you really can't explain or get into too much because it's got one heck of a twist, but I will say this. I didn't see the end coming, and I really appreciate that all the people in my life who have happened to see this movie before not spoiling it for me really enjoyed it. The performances were solid. I was shocked more than once by what I saw on screen. I found William Castle's introduction to be short and sweet, and the gimmick was cute. All in all, I'm really glad I watched it, and it may be one of my favorite William Castle films now. Now, on Halloween, I didn't just watch movies. October was also my month to edit the latest episode of 1951 Down Place, and I, along with Scott Morris and Casey Criswell, covered the Christopher Lee Hammer film Dracula Has Risen From the Grave this month. I put a few finishing touches on that episode before releasing it to the 1951 Down Place feed on October 31st, and I had a lot of fun with that episode, both recording it and editing it. Now, there's another tradition on Halloween that I like to observe, and that's watching for an announcement from filmmaker Christopher R. Mim. He typically puts out a YouTube video promoting his next movie. Now, this year, I was a little worried that there wasn't going to be something to watch, because after the release of Danny Johnson Saves the World, he said he was going to take a break. Hey, 10 movies in 10 years is a lot of work. He deserved to take some time off. Well, it turns out he can't stay away from the camera, and he did put out a new YouTube video promoting the next Mimiverse film. Yes! So, uh, here's the really big good news. Uh, after taking a well-deserved couple months off, I finally figured out what my next movie is going to be, and I'm really excited to tell everyone about it. Uh, it's based on an idea that's been floating around for a while, but only recently did I figure out the perfect angle to make it work. The script is called... Where Skeeto, Nazi Hunter. Uh, I wrote a nice little synopsis of that, and I'm going to read it uh, to you so you get a good idea of um, what it's about. Um, 
horrific Nazi experiments have left a surviving World War II soldier with a terrifying condition. At the sight of fresh blood, he transforms into a man-sized, blood-sucking killer insect. Refusing to uh, let his affliction destroy him and all he loves, he instead commits himself to using his powers for good by finding the people responsible and bringing them to justice. All in all, October ended on a pretty sweet note, and I really needed that. Now, I watched Stephen King's It with my wife. I stayed up late. I reconnected my Roku and checked out the offerings of the new Roku station, Outer Space International 74. I slept in, and I was kicking back with one to three cats at any given time. I listened to the 2009 KBOO radio adaptation of the Robert E. Howard short story Pigeons from Hell. I mean, it was awesome. We didn't have any trick-or-treaters, though. You know, we really haven't for years. But... Man, chilling at night, it was just chill. The weather was perfect. It was cool. It was a wonderful way to close out the month. Now, granted, the next day, everyone started promoting Christmas. <laughs> Halloween night, there was a Christmas commercial on TV. Thanks, Best Buy. Now, I don't have anything against Christmas. I just think it's a bit much, a bit early. Oh, well, at least this year, there's a new Christmas album from Midnight Syndicate to pass the time by. But more on that in a future episode. Oh, and speaking of Christmas, I really do need to figure out what I'm going to talk about this year on the Christmas episode with Scott Morris. But that's another month and a half away. Too soon, man. Too soon. For those of you who celebrated, I hope you had a very happy Halloween. And hey, as of this episode, only 362 days left until the next Halloween. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Once again, thanks to Donnie Dunnigan, Joe DeMero, Tom Rice, and of course, you guys and gals for downloading the show and being part of the Monster Kid Radio community. If you want to get more involved in the Monster Kid Radio community, we have a couple of different ways you can do that primarily online. If you go to Facebook, you can look up the Monster Kid Radio page or the Monster Kid Radio group and get involved with conversations with listeners of Monster Kid Radio between episodes or maybe even while you listen. Now, there's a link to our group over at our website at monsterkidradio.net, which is where you're going to find everything else you need to know about Monster Kid Radio, like our contact information. Our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. We also have an email address, monsterkidradio at gmail. Dot com. We have links to every band that's appeared here on the show. There will be a link to that endorsement video that I mentioned earlier that Donnie Dunnigan put together for Wolfbane Productions. And you'll see a trailer for the movie The Tingler. I'm William Castle, and I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction you will see at this theater. The picture is The Tingler, which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part in the picture. You will feel some of the physical reactions, the shocking sensations experienced by the actors on the screen. I guarantee that The Tingler has more shocks per minute than my last film, The House on Haunted Hill. But don't be alarmed. You can protect yourself. When you see the picture, you will be told and remember the instruction how you can guard yourself from attack by The Tingler. And now may I show you a few scenes from The Tingler? (laughs) 
You know why I'm putting that on the website? Because that's the movie we're going to be talking about next week on Monster Kid Radio when I'm joined by Scott Roche. Scott Roche is a writer. He is one of the co-hosts of the Dead Robot Society podcast. I'm a fan of his work, and he just put out a book called House of Phobos. And Phobos is P-H-O-B-O-S. It's all about fears. It's an anthology featuring short stories about things people are afraid of. I'd like to think that I kind of timed inviting him to the show to talk about The Tingler, which is a movie about being afraid to the release of his book, but I, I, I can't really. It was just a coincidence, a happy accident, and fortunate for us because we had a great conversation. That's going to be coming out next week on Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody for downloading the show, and if you're an iTunes user, of course, we'd love a review of the show as well. If you're a Facebook user, please share the posts announcing the new episode. If you're a Twitter user, please retweet the tweets announcing the new episode. Spread the word. The more Monster Kid Radio listeners, the better. The more likes on Facebook, the more shares, the more eyes, the more ears on the show, the more fun it is for everybody. I mean, us Monster Kids, we gotta stick together, right? Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 3.0 Unported License. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Drag the Lake, the Afterlife Aquatic. That belongs to the band Genki Genki Panic. It's from their album Ghoulie High Harmony. You can find them at GenkiGenkiPanic.bandcamp.com. Genki is G-E-N-K-I, so that word twice, and then panic.bandcamp.com. Or follow the link in the show notes. However you track them down, let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. I'll talk with everybody next week when we have Scott Roche on the show to talk about the Vincent Price classic, The Tingler. 